You're listening to the Team Guru Podcast, bringing to life the theory and principles of leadership. Hello and welcome to the Team Guru Podcast. My name's David Frizzell and in this episode, we're talking about something very topical, virtual teams and more specifically, how to be an effective leader in a virtual team. Our guest in this episode is Alison Hill, a return visitor to the Team Guru Podcast She's been doing some research into virtual teams, the phenomena sweeping the world. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Alison Hill. Alison Hill, welcome back to the Team Guru Podcast. Oh, it's so great to be back. Thank you so much. It's an honor. <laughs> uh, well, it's great to have you back, Alison. You know what I did this morning? I listened to our first episode, <laughs> our only other episode, number 47, and it made me realize I'd kind of forgotten, I'd detached the name, but it made me realize that not only was it a fabulous chat and it made me really look forward to this one, but your concept about burnout, freak out, It's a concept that has stayed with me ever since that chat we had. And it's just that I forgot where it came from. So when I listened to it, I was like, that's that concept that I've been clinging to all these years. You and I spoke at the end of 2016 and it stuck with me. And that idea of of wearing the word busy as a badge of honor is something that I say so often. You made an impression on me back then. Oh, isn't that great? Thank you. That's That's a real honor to kind of hear that. And it's, you know, I mean, it absolutely is one of those those concepts that stands the test of time. It's kind of a bit evergreen, but doesn't 2016 feel like four decades ago? <laughs> you know, the funny thing about it, when we were chatting then, we both at some point through the episode dropped the age of our kids. So at that point, I had a three-year-old and a six-month-old. I now have a seven-year-old, a four-year-old and a two-year-old. Life has changed enormously. You had a seven and a nine-year-old. I'm sure they've added on a few years. They have. They have. So yes, I have a um, 12-year-old that will be 13 next week. So, you know, hold me. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> Good luck. And a 10-year-old. And, a and in the last week, David, I've also acquired a puppy. So we've done the full COVID thing. <laughs> well done. So, uh, so maybe in four years' time, you can ask me how that went. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it'll still be chewing shoes in four yeah, years' time. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Oh, well done. Congratulations on the puppy and congratulations on maintaining your two kids. Yes. You still yeah. have them. Haven't shipped them off anywhere. No, no, I think I'll keep them. They're pretty good. Ah, <laughs> They're pretty good. good. <laughs> All right. Now, we are going to have a conversation for the times in this episode. We're talking virtual teams. It's something that we have all experienced in the last little while. Statistically, just about everyone listening to this podcast right now has had an experience with virtual teams over the last few months through this COVID time. And we know, again, statistically, that many of those people had never had an experience with virtual teams before. So as a workforce, we have, we've experienced something otherworldly in a lot of ways. So we're going to talk all about that, and we're going to hone in on what it takes to lead an effective virtual team. So that's the wisdom that I'm going to extract out of your brain today. But before we get there, I just want to talk about, I had this great chat a few weeks ago with a guest on the podcast, and we were saying that imagine if in you know, July 2019, someone announced that, hey, every business next year in March, you have to have 80 or 90% of your workforce working virtually. 
Could you imagine the multi-million dollar programs that large organizations would have thrown at a challenge like that? They would have thought that that was going to take project upon project upon program to organize. But when the crunch came, we essentially flicked the switch and did it overnight. Do you ever reflect on that? Oh, it's the grand experiment, isn't it? It's that, uh, and I agree with you, if you think about the amount of committees, the amount of communication plans that would have been put into place in the years and years and years, (laughs) and the fear and the unknown, and we need to collaborate and we need to ask and see whether it's going to work and it's not going to work. And yet, um, so much of the work that we do is working with organisations around cultural change. And so many of them have, you know, said for years and years, culture change takes a long period of time. But the experience that we have just been through proves that change can happen incredibly quickly. Now, obviously, the speed of change and how quickly it needed to happen was because the purpose and the the need was so great and it was so communal and it was experienced by all of us. And so there was no sense of you know fairness or unfairness. We were all in the same boat. But it absolutely shows that proof that when something is important enough, change can happen on a dime in a moment and we adapt, right? We all went, okay. And almost if you track it, and that's something we have done with our team, that initial period of change people actually rose to the challenge and we saw that in Teepens and, and people listening would have potentially experienced that, that, that actually in those moments, everything that didn't matter, everything that didn't work got put to the side and we, we knuckled in and we sorted out our tech and we set it up in our dining rooms and we <laughs> put the kids in the corner and, and did what had to be done. And in some ways, those early stages, you know, we, we almost came together stronger than than we have in a long period of time. So, yeah, I think I do reflect on that. And I think if, if you had have told people how to map it, then there would have been disbelief and uncertainty and, yeah, a lack of direction. <laughs> and yet now we have that proof. It's a fascinating experiment in change. So I, I do a fair bit of my work in change. One of the organizations I've done a lot of work with over the years, uh, we use the ADCAR model, and it doesn't really matter what model you use, as long as you're using something to remind you of the important steps. You could use COTAS 8 or, or any number of models, but ADCAR stands for Awareness, Desire, Knowledge, Ability, and Reinforcement. And the awareness and the desire, that's the bit that's really difficult to achieve in organizations when you're, when you're on some kind of change agenda. But COVID did that for us. All of a sudden, the awareness and the desire to make that change just allowed us to jump to it. And it allowed us to get past all of those traditionally very difficult bits of change. People wanted to do it. People had to do it. We were all in it together. Hey, as an experiment in change, Alison, it was super effective. It circumvented a million PowerPoint presentations, a million comms plans, a million meetings, a million panicky plans that organizations would have put in place. But are there any downsides to achieving such a gigantic change in such a small amount of time? I think that's a, it's a great question. I, and as we spoke, I think one of it is that proof that uh, it's, it absolutely is possible for human beings, right? For the things that we, all of the habits that we had in place, for all of the, the rituals and the processes and things we relied on, when it all changes, then absolutely we adapt. I think the downside, and it probably speaks to the second thing that we saw through change. So if I talked about you know, and something that we kind of tracked was people rising to the challenge. It's almost like we we come 
together stronger in a crisis. And uh, I was only working with a team a couple of weeks ago that actually said, you know, we saw some of the best displays of human behavior and collaboration that we've ever seen from these teams. And a lot of that is driven by adrenaline. It's driven by our internal response to change, which is that adrenaline response, adrenaline and cortisol, which what it does is it helps, gives us speed and focus, and we can get stuff done in a way that we never have for a period of time. One of the downsides is that adrenaline doesn't last very long in our bodies. And if it does, we hit a wall and certainly, and even now, and I'm sure you're hearing it as well and those listening are probably hearing it is we're not sure how long we can continue like this. We're not sure how long we can sustain it. So when we know where the end of the race is, we can keep that going. We can keep that momentum going. We can work in the unknown. We can, you know, pull together the the dining room table, new office kind of environment for a period of time. But when it then starts to become, oh, okay, this is longer than what we thought. The plan to come back isn't where we were at. And certainly working with, you know, organisations particularly, and I'm going to use Victoria at the moment because they're the example of it, but, you know, any any state or any you know city could go through this again and there potentially will be rolling lockdowns. And so when you feel like you're doing it again and again, the downside is that it feels like a double whammy. And so the that initial we we are in it together is is great, but I think the downside comes when that initial novelty and the honeymoon phase wears and we we hit a wall or hit a phase of going oh, okay, I'm not set up for this. And what we used to do, the systems, the processes, the ways of communicating, the ways of working that worked when we had an office or, you know, traveled a lot or got on a plane, they don't transfer. They don't automatically transfer to this new way of working. So I think collectively, that's certainly one of the things we're seeing. If I say that whether it's a downside or just the experience, the trend of people's experiences is just when that initial honeymoon phases that motivation starts to to wane. Do you want team and leadership development programs that actually work? Contact Team Guru today so we can start the conversation. When COVID hit and it it all became very real in that mid-March point, I was working with a client, a long-term client on a contract and we moved seamlessly to online work, and we're still largely doing that. I actually went into the office today. It's about my fourth time back in the office. Um, I'm going to do that a day or two a week for the foreseeable future. And Alison, I am loving life. I feel like I, I spend a lot of time in this very room right here. I work here through the day, and then every now and then I jump on here and do a podcast at night. This room gets a little bit old, but on balance, life is good. I see my kids a lot more through the day. I get a chance to go and pick uh, my oldest up from school every now and then. I can't do it all the time, but sometimes I can. I hear my little girl who's at home all day, every day, uh, giggling and playing in the background. And it's just a lovely experience. I've really enjoyed it. Of course, there are challenges at work. And my kind of experience is pretty common. I've heard a lot of people talk about enjoying the the new balance that it's brought for their life. Tell us a little bit more about what your research has shown you. What are we experiencing as individuals? We'll get to teams and leaders soon. 
But for human beings, for individuals who are experiencing this, and and granted, there's no finish line in sight, and that can make it hard for some people. It's probably harder for some than others. What's your research telling you about the experience that we're having? Tell us some of the obvious ones that we would all relate to straight away, but I'm really interested to hear about some of the trends that might not be so obvious. Yeah, and look, you know, your experience is not unusual, and we're we're hearing that a lot as well, where people are actually going, you know, I'm actually really loving this, and this is possibly the bits and the ways of working that I've been craving, this, this ability to stop, this ability to actually go, well, yeah, I don't have to travel or get on a plane. And now it's become the new norm to whether it's jump on a Skype or jump on a Zoom call and we can communicate and you do it within an hour and then you can be, yeah, as you say, picking up your kids or going out for a run or whatever it is. So that's definitely part of that kind of collective trend. I think, and to talk about, whilst we're talking about work, I think it it's that experience where work and life are becoming that one. And they probably always had, but we had probably segmented them by the commute to work, right? So you have the commute and so that's my transition. We're coming back in. And so what it's done and you know, organizations have had flexible work practices for years, trying to go, well, how can we make work fit into what else is going on for you and and how you can be that best version of you. But a lot of those policies have grossly you know, underrepresented what we're experiencing at the moment. Therefore, one or two people for maybe a day here and there, when you talk about flexible work practices, not thinking about entire teams and entire organizations on a permanent basis. But I, I definitely think that trend of being, it's that collective reset. What do I want to do and where do I want to spend my time? And what are the things that really matter to me? And having the breathing space of sometimes I think not having to get out, see people, do all of that has actually helped give clarity and allowed people to breathe. When we did speak last time in 2016, we talked a little bit about busyness and you know burnout, and I think that has been a collective experience that this has you know allowed so many people to go, ah, oh, I can still be productive but I can also go and pick up my kids from school and I can also go out in the sunshine and have my lunch, you know, outside and not be rushed around in office. As an aside, and I will come back to your question, but as an aside, one of the trends I have heard recently is, you know, parents of new bubs who have had new babies and, you know, mums in 2020. There's research coming out that says that, that, you know, babies are more settled, that mums are feeling more kind of connected or, you know, that they don't have this rush of, you know, I've got to get out and go and see all of my friends and, and to kind of have this pressure during the day because they have been able to have these times of just being at home and, wow. and then doing what needs to be done with their child and their, their children. So, you know, the drops in, in mums having that baby blues, which we know is really normal, there's been significant amount of mums not even experienced that. So wow. that's incredible to me when you think about some of those upsides. Where hearing- I wonder if that, um, you know, so it's the idea of, of not having that social pressure to get out and about and show off the new baby and, and meet with friends regularly, that would certainly take the pressure off and give that settled experience at home. But I also wonder if maybe it's the presence of a partner who yes. might otherwise have been at work. Is, is, that, is the research showing that up? 
Yeah, I'm I'm not sure about the research, but I can tell you anecdotally, we um, my brother had a little baby in in February, and he was meant to be going to the Olympics as a support crew, and that was going to have a fair amount of travel in the lead up to that. And all of that is off the table. So I know from here, his experience that that is exactly true, <laughs> that he's around, he's got two other kids as well. And, you know, these kids are three and five and they are loving COVID. Like how great is it that mum and dad are around? Yeah. You know, we, we get this kind of playtime and they're really, really present. So a sample of one, we'll take that as a yes, stat. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I know that's, <laughs> that's definitely true for them. So, you know, coming back to your question, what are those trends we're seeing and what are some of the ones that people might, you know, go, yep, I know that. And what are the ones that they don't? I think the ones that you hear people talking about are actually, I am much more productive and I can get stuff done. We don't have the interruptions of that work provides. We can get really, really focused. Sometimes that means you can get quite creative or strategic in what you're, in what you're doing, which, you know, in this day and age, that's where a lot of workplaces require people to have that capability to be creative, to be innovative, to be strategic, that need the headspace for that. And it does mean that we are asking ourselves that question of what do I want work to be? How does it serve who I am and you know how I want to feel in the world in being able to get out, get some fresh air or, you know, move a bit more or, you know, be just really mindful around all of those other things that you know, help us just to feel better during the day. So what we're seeing is that the highs are higher because people can have that autonomy about how they work and what the outputs are. And so it drops away from this micromanagement and we can talk about, you know, the value that you are providing, how and when you do that, we can have some autonomy around that. So the highs are higher, but what we're also seeing is that the lows are lower. So there isn't this safety net of going into an office if you are feeling a bit low or you've had a crap morning or something's happened, whether it's around home or family or just something else or work, that you regulate yourself when you go into an office. Or there's this kind of, you know, for want of a better word, water cooler or, you know, there are people who are having a cuppa and you hear about their day and you kind of go, oh, that pulls me out of my funk mm. in that moment. We don't have that. So when we're at home and we're in a funk, the funks are lower. Mm, (laughs) They're they're harder to pull out and they're harder to regulate without being really conscious. And it almost is going to require, I think, well, we're using this term of emotional wisdom, going to require that emotional wisdom to tune in, to notice and to put your hand up and to, to call out that, you know, hey, I'm, I'm just feel like I'm hitting the wall a bit today. What can I do? But you've got, as you say, you've got to actively seek it out. Whereas in yeah. the office environment, you would have stumbled across some colleagues at the, you know, in the, in the kitchen, on the way to the bathroom, mm. just around the cubicles. You kind of can't help but avoid it. But when you're working from home, you've got to actively seek out that that connection, and and that's probably harder to do and less likely that you'll do that if you're feeling blue and and you're in a bit of a funk. You might just sort of sit there and and wallow in your own juices. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I remember early, early on, so probably end of March, hearing a radio interview, you know, I was coming home and it was just afternoon radio and there was a lady that had called in and, and it was more kind of a funny segment. And, and she had sort of said, you know, I actually am able to get my work done in the first hour of my work, my day, 
the boss doesn't know, but I pretty much sit on the couch and watch Netflix for the rest of the day. And it was came across as this kind of humorous anecdote and they were all going, oh, how funny is that? Yeah. The thing I was struck with at the time was, you know, we're only early on, but that person, if they are still doing that in three months' time, yeah. what kind of contribution to vocation, to growth, mm. to, you know, that I actually did something today I'm feeling it. proud of. Yeah. That's really tough. Mm. <laughs> like it's great in that's that yeah. honeymoon phase. Yeah, it's nice it's for, great a long for a week weekend. or two. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> but then you run out of Netflix and then what do you do? <laughs> or even just like you say, the the process of getting to the end of the day and having not achieved anything. I mean, we've all experienced that because we've had mm. a, a day that just hasn't worked out. But imagine doing that every day. You could kind of yeah. half fool yourself that you've enjoyed the Netflix, but there'd be the guilt of getting a paycheck that you're not earning and there'd be this feeling of of just not contributing. That'd be tough. Hey, I spoke to someone recently who talked about the fact that straight away, this whole work from home COVID thing blew out of the water some of the myths that existed that kind of was preventing us from doing this before en masse. The idea that that people can't be trusted to do their work, that productivity would go through the floor, that managers don't have oversight or visibility of what people are doing. What is your research telling you about effectiveness or productivity or creativity or quality of work in general? Yeah, absolutely. I think certainly what we're seeing and what we're hearing is, and as we mentioned, as we've already kind of talked about, is productivity. People are feeling much more productive there. And I think, you know, a big part of that is not having the interruptions that you can get really focused, you get really clear on what needs to be done. And, you know, a lot of different teams will have their own rhythms based on, you know, what their style of work is or their industry that they're in. So whether they're catching up, and I certainly know for our team, we're, we're now catching up as a team every single morning on a regular basis. And that's probably more than what we used to do, but you don't have the ad hoc. And so there is that opportunity to visualize productivity and whether that's using, you know, a system or a software or, you know, where some way of kind of, whether it's projects that you're seeing things moving, I am seeing teams going more to that path. So they're, they're ticking things off and feeling productive in that regard. Okay, so Alison, let's cut to the chase. This is all really interesting stuff and, and it's lovely to talk about this thing that so many of us have experienced over the last few months, but I want to really hone in now on what your research and your work with clients has told you is the difference between a good and effective virtual leader and someone who's not, someone who's struggling in this environment. Tell us however you'd like to get started and I'll just jump in with my five cents worth, but you know, along the way, I'd really like to talk about people who maybe were an effective leader in the old world and haven't been able to transfer that effectiveness into this virtual world. And what and what are some of the barriers to that? So how do you want to start? Do you want to talk about what it takes to be an effective virtual leader first, or is there a different way you'd like to tackle this beast of a question? Yeah, no, it is a beast of a question. I love it because there's so many different angles. And part of where my head went first when when you said that question was, you know, I am seeing the those that were great leaders that jumped into direction with their team who who made clear decisions, had frameworks for those decisions, so they weren't just making them ad hoc. This experience is really just amplifying those skills and capabilities. And on the flip side, those leaders that that maybe avoided tough conversations, that you know, sweeped under performance under the carpet, that's also being amplified in these experiences. So, you know, I think some of that doesn't necessarily change, but there's definitely an amplification because you can see it 
in just how people are, as we said, highs are highs and lows are lows. And so the difference between great leaders and those that are struggling, and when I say struggling, it might be that they're feeling okay, but I've certainly been talking to a few leaders above them and that are going, I know my people aren't having those performance conversations and then they're almost blaming it on the fact that we're not face-to-face so I can't and that's that's detrimental to really good work and it's detrimental to performance and so I think that's going to be an important conversation for organisations to have that we can't avoid or put aside those pieces. I love that concept that generally working virtually just amplifies what you're already doing as a leader. So if you're a good if you're a good leader, if you're an effective leader, someone who communicates really strongly, someone who motivates their team in in different ways because they're all different individuals, someone who helps their team develop by giving them opportunities and having tough conversations when they have to, that is amplified in a virtual environment. But the opposite is true as well. If you avoid all of those things, if you don't have clear direction, if you if you can't have the tough conversations, if you don't continue to develop your team and and share the vision and all of that kind of stuff that we know good leaders do, if you don't do those things, it hurts you in a normal setting, but that hurt is amplified in a virtual setting. That makes total sense. What kind of things do we, are we seeing for teams across Australia right now, across the world right now, that are unraveling in kind of you know, invisibly because everyone's doing it in their own home office, but these there are teams unraveling under the weight of poor leadership. What are some of the symptoms of that unraveling? I think some of the symptoms are it's communication that happens ad hoc. It's communication where assumptions are often made, where people aren't actually sharing, you know, what's going on for me. And and again, you know, we saw these when we were in, in workplaces, when we were in office environments. But what you don't get the chance to do now when people are working virtually is that there is a bigger gap between miscommunication. So where you might have that miscommunication in the morning, but you might sort of pass that person a couple of times and you can check in or you read body language. And that's certainly one of the massive things that we're missing in virtual teams is that we're not, you just don't have that capability of being able to see someone's entire body language, right? And so therefore, And it's not about necessarily interpreting or that you're getting that right, but what you're often looking for and great leaders look for is congruence. So what someone says is congruent to what their body is telling me. So if someone's saying, yep, I really understand this and their body language is really open, their palms are up, you know, their voice is engaging, then you'll you'll go, yep, that's congruent. But if someone has their arms crossed and their voice is down and their eyes are down and they're saying, yep, I really get it, I'm happy to do it, like you go, oh, there's something going on there. What is that? You know, let's dive into that a little bit more. So those nuances you don't have as much and they're not as clear in a virtual context. And because you're only seeing a screen, like you're only seeing a box and, and often it's only from, you know, the waist up mm. that you don't get to see if someone is looking away, what else is going on in their environment. If there's a young kid running past or, you know, we so we can interpret that or misinterpret that worse and strongly. So I think one of the one of the signs is that that miscommunication, I think that you know that there's back channeling, that there's conversations happening behind closed doors. And when I say behind closed doors, it can be in different communication channels, whether it's via text messages mm. or, you know, those sorts of things. I think where you see group email chains continue on and on and on. So again, these aren't unusual, but again, they, they're amplified in the virtual setting because we don't get the chance to just go, 
all right, everyone, let's get into the yeah, boardroom and talk now. about this. Yeah. So, But there's no reason why we can't do that in a virtual setting any, either. So what are some of the things that we can do? If all of those things are true and unavoidable in a virtual relationship, I can't read your body, I can't smell what's going on in the room with you when we're talking about something that's important, what can I do to work around that as an effective leader virtually? Yeah, one of the quick-fire tools to that is to summarise much more often. So in the communication, so if you're, whether it's a meeting and I'll use a meeting as an example, so usually we'll go, here's the agenda. We assume people will read the agenda and then we just get into it. Whereas you need to frame up much more than what you would do in a face-to-face. So this is what we're going to do. I'm going to need your full attention for half an hour. If we can just make sure that you, I'd really prefer no one kind of check emails while we're doing this because and we'll make it short, sharp, and we'll get on. So you frame up the experience beforehand and you set your expectations really, really clear. So that almost becomes that psychological contract in that communication. And then to summarize much more often. So what I'm hearing you saying, and you're doing it this beautifully on the podcast, right? So I'll say something and you're summarizing it. And so that's a really lovely example of when a leader does that or even teams do that with each other, it gives the opportunity for the other person to go, no, 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 that's not what I said. Or that's not what I meant. What I meant was this. Oh, okay, radio. So I, I misread that or I heard that differently. So framing up better at the start, and that can be both in your formal but also informal kind of connections, that's summarizing much more often and then kind of framing up at the end. So that was great. What I loved about that, we got a lot out of this. And what we're going to do from here is connect here, here, and here. So that. There's a bit more labor in that, but it helps to add clarity. That is so simple, but you can just hear how effective that is. You know, I've I've had a million virtual meetings since March, but I haven't yet picked up a change. I, I haven't yet picked up a, a maturity in the way people are conducting virtual meetings. We're still kind of conducting them the same way we were in mid-March. We're just hoping that the community, you know, by by taking our office communication and plonk it in the virtual world, we're just hoping that that's effective. Whereas those kind of techniques that you're talking about there, well, maybe people are doing them subtly and I'm just not picking up on it, but that often summarizing, giving feedback and framing up and and just kind of giving the conversation more structure in general. And I really like that idea of, of just being really overt at the beginning of a conversation and saying, hey, just for the next 30 minutes, I'd really appreciate if you can't, if you're not going to check emails because we've all seen it. You all, we, I don't know whether people think that it's not obvious, but when someone else has got another screen open and they're on their computer, you know, reading emails and looking around, I mean, it's just so obvious they're doing it. But I haven't yet picked up a widespread kind of maturity in that. And you've just described really nicely how to go about that. While we're on this, what, what are some other nuggets? in that same space, some subtle changes of behavior that are just a, a really deliberate adaptation of conversational behavior in the same tone that you just gave. Yeah. I, where I want to take this is probably away from the behavioral and more to the experience. And so these are the really simple tips. And we've, we've almost become a bit of a Nazi with our team, but it's around how you jump online So even focusing on having good quality camera set up. So whether that's through your laptop, but if not, then investing in a webcam, if you can get them. I know they were hard to get for a little while there. Having really good audio. So being really conscious of whether it's having earpods in so that people can actually hear you. 
and having cameras on. So we are we I I'm big stickler for that, particularly for those communications within teams. And there are times where you're like, oh no, I won't because I've got this going on in the background. But again change the meeting or change the time because so much I know you don't have that. a camera on tonight um, and Alison. The, yeah yeah I know <laughs> just wanted to call you out on that I'm also sitting <laughs> in my wardrobe <laughs> for the sound good work <laughs> this is a podcast <laughs> and with camera is really good lighting so again I think one of the things we're seeing it's a little bit where we kind of use it it's a bit like the walking dead or you know the victim identification, witness box, where it's the light in the background and the person's really, yeah. really dark. So just taking those couple of minutes right at the start of a meeting going, hey, we can't quite see you, make sure you've got your, your face to the natural light of the window or just invest in a $10 lamp. $10 lamp will change everything. So set that up, have your camera at eye level, have good audio, mics, any other distractions away. So those kind of yeah, I know that sounds really basic and it's not the behavioural things that you possibly were asking, but they make all the difference to that communication. The other tip, and I picked this up from, it was actually a podcast I listened to, and we now do it with our team meetings, is as much as possible, encourage people to have their mics open all the time. Now, there'll be some teams and some situations where that that may not be the case. And the default has been, turn your mics off because yeah. we don't want background mm-hmm. noise. But there's this friction in communication that happens when you have to mute and unmute and the amount of people that talk and they're on mute and like we've seen it, we've all experienced it and that's what makes it hard and frustrating and doesn't take long for our brains to switch off and metaphorically or literally roll our eyes and go, this isn't working. So if you can have the default is have your mic on and that flow of communication is so much easier. All right, Alison, we unbelievably have just about run out of time. Can you leave us with your top two, three, five, whatever you want to do, things that we can remember every day, just little little reminders that we can implant in our head to keep doing as leaders or effective members of team virtually, things that might not come naturally, but if we remember to do them and can drill them into becoming a habit, it will just make the world more effective for everyone, our, us and, and our teammates and our leaders. I think I'm going to put these into two categories and I certainly am seeing these at the moment it's around not only what leaders are requiring to focus on, but what our organisations need from us. We are in the middle of a recession here in, in Australia and so there is a, an impact on business. So those two categories, and the first one is performance. A team now needs to perform and an organisation needs to perform now more than ever. And so if I were to bring that down to the granular, what do I do every day? What can I drill into my brain? Is almost at the start of every day as an individual is going, what can I deliver today that will be of value? And if I don't know what that is, that I'm asking my manager or I'm asking my leader. And that for leaders, that they are keeping and coming back to what's the thing that's going to be most valuable. Like if we had half the amount of time, what would I choose my team to focus on? So I think coming back to performance and how am I adding value, whether it's adding value to my customers, to my clients, to the products that we're delivering, to the way that we're delivering it, keeping that absolutely front of mind that's going to help you feel like that job satisfaction I've gotten to the end of a day and I've ticked stuff off that I know it was worthwhile. It's a great habit to get into. How am I going to deliver something of value today? That's brilliant. Love it. Simple. 
Yeah, absolutely. And so the second category, so you know, performance absolutely needs to be part of the conversation. The second one we're seeing a lot is how do I look after my people? So as we talked before, the lows are low. We're seeing a lot of conversations at the moment around mental well-being. And I'm actually having a lot of conversations about grief and loss. And some of that is about the loss of what 2020 was going to be, those holidays, the trips, the plans that we had. And so I think secondly would be who are the people I can connect with in, connect with today? So what value can I add today? And then who are the people that I can connect with? And maybe it's what can I do for them? Because nothing serves us to feel good about who we are and what we do than by serving other people. What's a, an expression of kindness? What's a handwritten note I can post to them? What's something I can organize for them? We can go back to these high touch experiences, even when we're in a virtual world. That is a beautiful place to end it. Performance, what will I deliver today of value? How am I adding value today? And secondly, look after our people. Who are the people I can connect with today and what can I do for them? They're great questions to ask. Alison Hill, I've enjoyed this conversation as much as I did the first. Thank you so much for coming back on the Team Guru podcast. Thank you for having me, David. It was such a delight. And that was Alison Hill. It's fascinating to talk specifically about virtual teams, something we've all been experiencing so much of over the last five or six months, but something that we may not have talked too much about overtly. I love the tips that she gave, most notably towards the end, thinking about the performance and looking after our people. Imagine sitting down at your desk in your home office every morning and asking yourself, what can I deliver today of value? What a simple question that drives quality outcomes. And that second question, who can I connect with? What can I do for them today to keep that human connection in this strange old time? As always, I'll share the lessons I took from my conversation with Alison on the Lessons Learned page for this podcast. You'll find it along with the entire back catalogue of Team Guru podcasts on our website. That's teamswithans.guru forward slash podcast. You can connect with me on Twitter, Facebook, SoundCloud or LinkedIn and join me for the next episode on this, my mission to bring to life the theory and principles of leadership. This is David Frizzell for Team Guru. Bye for now.